Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in Paul's letter to the Galatians, written there in the fourth chapter, especially the 31st verse. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Hello, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also, friends, who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. Oh, it is nice to have you here in God's house on this winter Sunday and also to have you in the radio audience. It does seem like a winter comes on Sunday morning, doesn't it? But I do hope that all of us who are worshiping together at this hour are glad that we are. You heard me say that today is the third Sunday in Lent. It's also called Oculi Sunday, and that's a Latin word which means eyes. The intro for the day begins, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, and Oculi is the first word of the intro in the Latin language. And you heard me read a section of God's word taken from Paul's letter to the Christian congregations in Galatia. If you remember anything about the missionary journeys of St. Paul that you learned in Sunday school, you remember that on his first missionary journey, the Apostle Paul went up into the province of Galatia, and there he succeeded in establishing a number of small congregations. Now most of the nucleus of those churches were Jewish individuals who were brought by Paul as he preached the gospel to them to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ who were turned by Paul away from Mount Sinai and they were turned to Mount Calvary to Jesus Christ. As Jews they had been at Mount Sinai and they believed that therefore at Mount Sinai since God gave the Ten Commandments there that here was their way to heaven that the way to heaven was to fulfill the Ten Commandments to obey the Ten Commandments to be good yet Paul told them get away from Mount Sinai as the way to heaven let's go to Mount Calvary to Jesus Christ and let's put our faith and our trust in him. And so they had embraced Jesus and Mount Calvary. And then we are told that there came some false teachers among them and told them, you're making a grave mistake, Galatian Christians. You should have never left Mount Sinai. You should have never turned away from that way to heaven. You should have never said that no longer are we going to try to fulfill the Ten Commandments in order to be saved. That no longer are we going to obey the Ten Commandments and to be good in order to go to heaven that we are going to put our faith in Christ and they told them you better leave Mount Calvary and you better get back Mount Sinai and that was the occasion why Paul wrote this letter and in order to show them that they should never leave Mount Calvary and they should never leave faith in Jesus Christ Paul, because they were Jews, he reminded them of a story about Abraham. And they knew it well. He said, remember, Christians, 
that Abraham had two sons. And you remember that one was born by the slave woman, Hagar, and that son was Ishmael, and that he had another son that was born by his wife, Sarah, and that was Isaac. And then Paul said, now this has another meaning. He said, bear in mind that Hagar represents Mount Sinai, and as Hagar, who was a slave woman, could only produce a slave son, so Mount Sinai is like a slave, like Hagar. It can only produce slave sons. But he said, look at Sarah. She is like the Jerusalem above. Or you and I would say, she is like Mount Calvary. She produces three sons. Isaac, saved sons, heirs of God. And so what he was saying to them, listen, Christians, don't go away from, again, Mount Calvary and your faith in Jesus Christ and come back to Mount Sinai and let that be your way to heaven, that you're going to try to keep the Ten Commandments and to obey them and to be good. Paul says, remember, brethren, we are now, we are not sons of the bondwoman. We are not slaves lost, but we are sons of the free woman. We are sons of Mount Calvary. We are saved if we go to Mount Calvary, he says, and stay there for our salvation. And you may say, well, preacher, in simple language, what's he saying to us from the Word of God? And may I say, he's talking, as you know, about our salvation. He's talking about the biggest question in your life and mine. And on the basis of the Word of God, this is what Paul is assuring you and me of. He is saying this this morning on the basis of this Word of God. He is saying that only if you and I have turned away from Mount Sinai as our way to heaven, and only as we have turned to Mount Calvary as our way to heaven, are we saved. Otherwise, we are not saved. Or he is saying it this way. He is saying that only as you and I are stopping, putting again our way of salvation as this, that we are going to obey the Ten Commandments and we're going to keep them and that by being good we're going to save ourselves. Paul says only as you stop trying to make that your way to heaven and only as you turn to Calvary and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ are you saved. Paul says otherwise you are not saved. You know that rather bothers us. You and I may say why is it that again there is the call that we are to go to Mount Calvary and to put our faith in Christ and not to stand at Mount Sinai and say this is my way to heaven. I shall try to obey the Ten Commandments. I shall try to be good. I shall try to observe the Ten Commandments and therefore I want to save myself by means of Mount Sinai. And we may say, what's wrong with Mount Sinai? Why does Paul want to say that unless we go to Mount Calvary that we are not saved? You know, you and I would like to feel that there are two roads to heaven, wouldn't we? We'd like to feel that there are two ways. And we'd like to say, now I believe there are two ways to heaven. That here is Mount Sinai, and it is a way. It's the way of keeping the Ten Commandments. It is a very attractive way. And then there is also the way of Mount Calvary through faith in Jesus Christ. And we like to say in a tolerant spirit, and now again, we all are working to go to the same place. And what's the difference whether we want to go by way of Mount Sinai, by way of keeping the Ten Commandments, or by way of Calvary, by way of faith in Christ? You take the high road, I'll take the low road, and you may get there first, but we'll all get there. 
We'd love to believe that there are two ways to heaven, wouldn't we? That there is Mount Calvary and faith in Christ, and then there is Mount Sinai by again obeying the Ten Commandments. And yet Paul says to you and me today that in this matter of your salvation and mine, that unless you and I have turned from Mount Sinai and we have gone to Mount Calvary, we are not saved, we are not heirs of God, and all because of this simple truth, there is only one road, one way to heaven. There are not two ways to heaven. And you know, that may surprise some of us. Then we may say, do you mean there aren't two roads to heaven? There's just one road to heaven? You know, it's a pretty good thing this morning as we talk about salvation, that important thing in your life and mine, just to stop and consider. There is only one road. It's Mount Calvary. It's Jesus Christ. And we may say, is that really true? Isn't there a road from Mount Sinai by keeping the law that goes to heaven too? But Paul says there's only one road, one way, and it's Mount Calvary. Because in the first place, Paul would remind you and me of this, that this way to heaven, Mount Calvary, this road to salvation, it's the only road that was revealed to our first parents back in the Garden of Eden when they sinned. Here's what we ought to do to settle this thing. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, our first parents, sinned. And what was the way to heaven that God revealed to them at that time? Did he reveal two ways or did he reveal only one way? And what was the way? That isn't difficult. In Genesis 3, 5, we find what God said to Adam and to Eve and to Satan in the guise of the serpent. You remember he said this, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. You may say, well, preacher, what does that mean? Well, first of all, God spoke to Eve and he spoke to the serpent as a snake. And he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That women are not going to like snakes and the seed of women will not like the seed of snakes. And then he went on and he said, if the seed of the woman, now comes the promise, if the seed of the woman, Eve, that seed, that one singular, that person that will come from you, that person will again, he will crush your head, Satan, but you will bruise his heel. In other words, in the light of New Testament, you and I understand that. What God was saying, listen, Adam and Eve, you have both sinned. You have violated my law. You both stand condemned before me. But here is hope. There is coming Eve from your line, the Savior, and that Savior is going to conquer Satan on the cross, that's when he conquered him, and yet Satan bruised Jesus' heel when he brought about his death on Calvary. The only way of salvation that was revealed in the Garden of Eden was Mount Calvary, Jesus Christ. No other way. And furthermore, as you and I look into the Old Testament and the New, there is only one way to heaven that's revealed in the Old Testament or in the New. Let's follow it through from Eden. There were the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. It is more than just in passing that when Abel, who was again a shepherd and the keeper of flocks, that when he offered sacrifice, it was a lamb. The lamb of God, as you and I look back, the shedding of blood 
pointing to Calvary when God's Son was offered. And then here we come to the time of Noah, when Noah said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Shem from your line will come this seed, which again is Jesus Christ. And then after the flood, you remember when Noah and his wives and his three sons and their wives came out of the ark, the first thing that they did was to erect an altar, and on the altar they offered animal sacrifices, lambs, shedding the blood, pointing to Calvary, the only way of salvation ever revealed in the Old Testament. And then you and I come on down from there to the time of Abraham. When God called Abraham, God said, Abraham, in you and in your seed, there will come a seed from you, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And Abraham believed that. What was the way of salvation? The seed from Abraham's line through Sarah, not going to be Ishmael, who was a slave, oh, absolutely not. It was going to be through Isaac. And finally, when Isaac was born, and Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, then Christ says that Abraham saw my day and was glad. Do you realize that when Isaac was born, Abraham, who lived 2,000 years before Christ, he saw the reality of a Savior because in that son God was going to keep that promise that the seed of the woman was going to come through Isaac, not through Ishmael. There is only one way to heaven revealed in the Old Testament. Then when Abraham was asked by God to take his son Isaac and to offer him up as a sacrifice, God stopped that sacrifice because it wasn't going to be Isaac. He wasn't the seed of the woman. It was going to be God's son. And then a ram was substituted. His blood was shed in place of the son. You see again, here is Calvary substitution. Then you come down to Moses. How about the last night in Egypt when God said an angel is going to pass over all the homes in Egypt and where there is no blood on the doorpost and the lintel post, the firstborn son will be killed. What happened? The Passover that night, the Jews took a lamb without blemish and without spot, pointing to Christ and him alone. And they took the blood because the blood was what was going to save them. And they smeared the blood on the doorpost and on the upper beam, the lintel post. And that night, the angel Lord passed over those homes. Why? It was pointing to Mount Calvary, the only road to heaven. That's why the Passover again passed over the firstborn in Israel. And then you go out in the wilderness when they were bitten by serpents. And God told Moses to take a brazen serpent to wrap it around the pole. And they looked and they lived. Why? Why Christ himself in the New Testament pointed back to that. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Christ referred that to himself. You and I ought to know this, that when we talk about this tremendously important thing, about our salvation. We may have the idea that, oh, what's the difference whether we stand here at Mount Sinai and again try to obey the law or go again to Mount Calvary? Do you realize that in the Word of God from the time of Edom through the Old Testament up into the New, there is only one road that is revealed and it's Mount Calvary. Never another road. Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And that's why today, oh again, as Christians, so many of us are wondering, what role are we on? Do you and I again say, well, it doesn't make any difference. We're all trying to go to the same place. Surely there are two roads. There must be a road from again Mount Sinai 
When again you keep the law and save yourself, or there must be another one at Mount Calvary. There is only one. That's all your Bible says. And therefore the most important question in your life and mine right now is this. Are you and I standing at Mount Calvary? Is it faith in Jesus Christ or is it not? You know today the big criticism that's hoisted against the church and it's so true is that people are hearing so many things they don't have to believe and so many things they are not to believe and that people are beginning to wonder, what am I to believe? It was interesting to read a column of Lewis Castles, if you have been reading him. He is a syndicated religious columnist and a very fine one, by the way, too. His column appears regularly in the Columbus Dispatch. Occasionally we have it in the Star. Not long ago he addressed a large group as, again, as a religious columnist, and he said this. He said, people, as far as I can see, are getting sick and tired of going to church and hearing what they don't have to believe. You don't have to believe this. You don't have to believe that. And he says, they are turning their saying to the church, what are we to believe? And may I tell you this so that you know it. What is the gospel? It's just this, friend. If you are not standing at Calvary, if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I say it in all wisdom and in all humility on the basis of the word of God, you are lost. Could it be any clearer than that? You may say, but look at my life. Look how fine. I don't care anything about your life. All that I want to know right now is this. Where are you standing? If you have Jesus Christ, then you are saved. If there is no Jesus Christ, no Calvary in your life, then I say it with a broken heart. You're damned. You want something straight? Well, that's it. And that'll be preached in this pulpit as long as they ever stand here. People are saying, we want to hear something we can believe. There is no greater question in your life and mine than your salvation and mine. And let's get straight once and for all. There are two roads that go to heaven. There's one. And if you and I aren't standing at Calvary this morning, and I care not who you are, who I am, you and I are not saved. He that hath the Son of God hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not everlasting life. That's not my word. That's the word of God. And therefore, let's stop deluding ourselves. Let's stop again deluding and fooling ourselves because the biggest fool in the world is a man that fools himself. Only someday at the day of death to be disillusioned, thinking we're saved when we have never stood at Mount Calvary. If you aren't at Mount Calvary, you and I have a horrible disillusionment or an awakening coming that you and I are not saved. We're lost. We're damned. The biggest problem in the world is your salvation and mine. And you and I must be interested or we wouldn't be in church this morning. We wouldn't be listening on the radio. And what is Paul saying? The same thing he told the Galatians. Paul is saying this, and he's assuring me as you and me of this, that unless we turn from Mount Sinai, and we have turned to Mount Calvary, unless you and I have stopped in trying to use this as our way of salvation by obeying and being obedient to the Ten Commandments, and we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, Paul said, we're not saved. Why? Because Paul would remind you and me there's only one way, and that is Mount Calvary. And you and I may say, is that right? And Paul reminds us in the second place of this, 
to remind you and me that Mount Calvary as the way of salvation was never intended to have a companion road to heaven, Mount Sinai. Well, you've got the right to say to me, all right, preacher, it's all right to say there's only one road, but then why in the world did God ever give us Mount Sinai? Isn't there some glory in Mount Sinai? But may I say this, friend, God never gave Mount Sinai as to be a way or a second way to heaven. It was never given for that. May I show you a number of reasons. When God gave Calvary to our first parents, Adam and Eve, bear in mind that Mount Sinai didn't come until 2,500 years later. Do you realize that if God brought Mount Sinai in the picture 2,500 years later, God was not changing his mind as regards the way to heaven. And it was over 400 years after God made the promise to Abraham that from Isaac would come the Savior and not from Ishmael, who again was nothing but a slave son and therefore cast out. He was a slave. He was not a free son. You and I say, well then, what in the world was Mount Sinai all about? When you and I climb Mount Sinai, there's no road that leads to Mount Sinai to heaven. There is only an abyss that plunges you and me in hell. And you and I may say, why? For this reason that Mount Sinai, yes, it has its purpose and it's got its glory, but it demands, it has nothing to give. When God gave Mount Sinai, Paul tells us why, because of our transgressions. The time came when God knew that he had to repeat his law, which was written in man's heart by creation, and write it down so that man having the Ten Commandments might discover that he was a sinner, and that he was lost and condemned as a sinner. You may say to me, what's the purpose of Mount Sinai? Never to save. There's never been a road from Mount Sinai to heaven. There's never been a road that says, here, you can walk this road, keep the Ten Commandments and you're saved, and there never will be. That was never its purpose. Its purpose is simply this. That when you and I stand at Mount Sinai, that it's like a mirror. We use that expression. It shows you and me like a mirror how God sees you and me. Mount Sinai says, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God says, put me first, but you haven't. You're a sinner. You're lost and damned. God says, don't take my name in vain, but you have. You're a sinner. You're condemned. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, but you haven't kept it holy. You're a sinner. You stand condemned. Honor your father and mother, but you haven't done it. You're a sinner. You stand condemned. Thou shalt not kill, but you've hated. You stand condemned. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You've been immoral in thought, word, and deed. You stand condemned. Thou shalt not steal. You have been dishonest. You stand condemned. Thou shalt not lie. You've lied. You stand condemned. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house or his wife or his manservant. You've been guilty of covetousness. You've been guilty of greed. You've been guilty of jealousy. You stand condemned. That's why Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai's great purpose was, again, to show you and me that we're sinners. You see, if we didn't have the law, if we didn't have Mount Sinai, you and I might go along and I say, I'm no sinner. I, I, I don't feel that I'm a sinner, but oh, when you stand at Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai says, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect, and whosoever shall keep the whole law and offend in one point is guilty of all. Mount Sinai was placed in this world by God, the Ten Commandments, first and foremost, 
We let you and me see we're sinners to run to Calvary as fast as we can go to acknowledge our sins and to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only reason the big one for Mount Sinai has regards salvation never a road. When you and I are standing at Mount Sinai then and saying, here's another way to heaven, we are deluding ourselves. There never was a road to heaven that way. And therefore, Mount Sinai, just like Hagar, it produces only slave sons, only damned sinners. That's all it can do. That's all God intended it to do as regards our salvation. And that's why today as we talk about salvation, and I hope I'm not talking over your head, I hope I'm making it clear, because believe you me, it isn't as simple as it appears. When you and I can say, I believe what Paul is saying, that unless I turn from Mount Sinai because there isn't a road to heaven there and I get to Mount Calvary and I get there in a hurry, that I am not saved because there's only one way, then we ought to determine this morning to use Mount Sinai, but to use it for what God intended it to be used for. Use it as a mirror to show us our sins. Oh, it's got other purposes. When it shows us our sins and we've gone to Mount Calvary and we've confessed them and we've asked for forgiveness in Christ, then we can come back to Mount Sinai. And then we say, well, how does God want me as a saved soul to live? I've been to Mount Calvary and I've had my sins forgiven. How do I live? Mount Sinai says, this is what is right in the sight of God. This is what is wrong. Now you take the Ten Commandments and you guide your life. Let this be the rule and principle of your life. And also Mount Sinai acts as a bar to keep you and me from sin. Mount Sinai says, now, because you've been to Mount Calvary, you've deliberately sinned and go back into your wayward life again. Mount Sinai says, you shall be damned. And it holds you and me from deliberate sins, from willful sins, from persisting in doing that which we know is wrong. And then again, there is this assurance of Mount Sinai that we can thank God that even though we don't like it, but nevertheless, thank God for Mount Sinai for this reason that it lets you and me see just exactly how God looks at you and me. You and I don't like it either if we're going down the highway and we look behind us and here's the state highway patrolman, here's the old light going around and here you hear the siren. He says, drive off to the side and walks up and says, you're under arrest. You and I don't like it either, do we? But again, the law does the same thing. The law comes and says, it's you. You're lost and damned. We may not like it, but we ought to thank God for it because it's only when we are convicted of sin by Mount Sinai that you and I begin to run to Calvary with our sins to get rid of them. That's the reason for Mount Sinai. It was never intended to be a companion way to heaven. Oh, again, this is an important thing in your life and mine, your salvation and mine. We may say to ourselves, well, what does the Word of God have to say about ways to heaven? Oh, we can again, we can wax eloquent, can't we? You take the high road and I'll take the road and we're all working to go to the same place. And surely there's a lovely road to heaven from Mount Sinai and there's one from Calvary. There isn't any from Mount Sinai. There never has been. It only damns. Paul reminds you and me there's only one way because of this. He reminds you and me that Calvary as the way of salvation is the only way that was able to do the job for us, Mount Sinai could never do it. Mount Sinai demands a perfect righteousness, but it hasn't any to give. And therefore there is no road, but how about when we go up to Calvary? You may say, well, why is Calvary so wonderful? 
bear this in mind. When you and I are lost and condemned sinners, we know we can never bring a clean thing out of an unclean. Our righteousness is our filthy rags, and therefore if there's going to be any salvation, it's something we can't do ourselves. We're going to have to have a substitute. Then you and I may say, well, if there's going to be a substitute for the whole world, whoever the substitute is, he's got to be of more value than the human race. And Jesus Christ is of more value than the human race because the Word of God said he was no less than God. There's the deity of Jesus Christ, and don't you ever forget it. Because he, again, is deity. He was no less than God. He is of more value. Therefore, he is a wonderful substitute for you and me and for all men. Then you and I say, but if we got a substitute, he's going to have to bear God's punishment in our stead. He's going to have to bear hell in our stead. And he must, therefore, be a sinless person because if he's a sinner, he can't do it. And he was born of the virgin. Talk about a tremendous way of salvation. Because he was born of the virgin, he was born without sin. But he was a human being, so you have the God-man. And you and I may say, but if he's going to be our substitute, and he's going to merit a righteousness for the whole world, then that sacrifice is going to have to be a timeless and eternal sacrifice for all time. And it is, the Word of God says, he's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. May I say to you, it's amazing. The thing that is tremendous about Calvary, it meets the need absolutely and entirely, and it was the only way in which it couldn't be done. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, don't you remember when he asked his father three times if it were possible that there be another way to take this way away from him, and God again assured him there was only one way. Thank God there was one way, that there could be a road to heaven from Mount Calvary. Because it was in the blood of Jesus Christ who on the cross, he merited a 100% righteousness for the entire human race, barring none. And therefore, it's the only way, and it's a tremendous, glorious, magnificent way, because that 100% righteousness of Jesus Christ exempts you and me from eternal hell, and it bestows upon you and me eternal life and everlasting salvation. The thing I rejoice and the thing that I shall never cease to thank God for is this, that we have a way of salvation that meets the bill. And I defy anybody to ever devise a way to heaven that is so tremendous and all-inclusive and so magnificent and so efficient and efficacious that so meets the bill like Mount Calvary, Jesus Christ. And you bring it down to your life and mine this morning, what ought it to mean? It ought to mean this, that you and I, let's get away from Mount Sinai. I don't know how many of you here in church or are listening or saying, I've been standing Mount Sinai all my life. I've been thinking that by keeping the Ten Commandments and by treating my neighbor right and by harming nobody, that I'm on a road that goes to heaven. Could I tell you again, friend, there just ain't no such road. Can you understand that one? There never was. There never was. But then you may say to me, but listen, I've gone to Mount Calvary many a time, and I've been there so many times, and I have failed and come short. Doesn't the time come when Jesus would wish you wouldn't come back? Are you always welcome at Mount Calvary? You may say, I've got a path worn there. I've gone to Mount Calvary, and I have confessed my sins, and I have been forgiven, and I've come away and I promised Jesus there that I'd never get drunk again but I have slipped and I have fallen and I've given way to drunkenness could I go back 
You think he'd let me go back? Or I'd been there and I promised when I asked him for forgiveness that I would never be immoral, that I would never go back into immorality and incest and in lust, that, oh, God knows that I have slipped and I've fallen. Can I go back? I've got a path warrant to Calvary. Am I welcome to go back again and again? Or you may say, I, oh, I laid hatred down at Calvary one day when I asked for forgiveness, but I've come away and I've slipped and I've fallen and I find myself still hating, still hating those who hate me. Can I go back? Am I welcome? And oh, I went to Calvary and I asked for forgiveness and I received it. And I promised that I would never be dishonest again. But I find that I am dishonest. That I have not been honest. And like, can I go back? And I find that I still lie. That I deliberately don't tell the truth. Can I go back? You may say to me this morning, can you always go back to Mount? Calvary. May I answer you? And I think this ought to be. You know, one day, and I'm so official, one day Simon Peter, you know, Peter Barjona, son of John, good old Pete Johnson, and I love that guy. You know, he fills in something that sometimes you and I want. And I went to Jesus one day, old Pete Johnson, and he said, he had been taught, you forgive a guy three times, and then that's it. He went to Jesus one day and he said, Lord, how often do I forgive my brother who sins against me? How about seven times? Oh, Pete Johnson was really liberal that day. Remember, Jesus looked at him and he says, Pete, listen, you don't just forgive seven times, but I say, Pete, 70 times seven. 490 times, Pete Johnson. In other words, Jesus was saying, Pete, you forgive them every time they come. There, there's no limit. Every time they sin against you, you forgive them. Now listen, friend, you may say, Oh, I, I've been the Calvary preacher, and I've gone away, and I've slipped, and I've fallen. I've gone back to the very thing that I promised to Calvary that I'd never do. And can I go back and listen? If Jesus wants you and me to belong to the 490 Club, don't you think he belongs too? If you and I are members of the 490s, we are to forgive 490 times. Let me assure you, friend, that Jesus belongs to the 492. And he says, come on, come again, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as well. Oh, just come. You'll never wear out your welcome if you want forgiveness. Oh, I'd rather forgive you than me. That's the Christ I know. And then the assurance in the Lord's Supper says, Do it as often as you do it in remembrance. We keep it going to the end of time till I come again. And then we can go to communion and by means of lowly bread and wine we can get his body and blood every time we come. As long as we come in humility and say, Oh God, help me. I'm coming again, but I've slipped and fallen. And you get that body and blood, those tremendous erasers that erase your soul and mine, that not even the indentation of sin shows that he remembers them no more. If there's anybody again who is saying, Oh, I've been to Calvary so often, I'm ashamed to go back. Why? Christ belongs to the 490. There is nobody on earth that he'd rather see come back over and over and over again than you or than me.
then to walk the glory road and be able to sing back to the cross I go again so oft as I have sinned to sing again the glad refrain that Jesus is my friend hard by the cross where not a soul has ever been cast out I prostrate fall confessing all and banish every doubt Oh, you may have worn a path, but you can come again. You and I can come today because, you see, the blood of Jesus Christ washes your soul and mine every time we come whiter than snow. What a price. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping the nights your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.